0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yesterday I was in the car at the right time. I got to listen to car talk. Most of you know about this call-in talk show. It's a couple of guys, brothers, with outrageous Boston accents. And people call in with their car problems, and their life problems, and their marriage problems, and all kinds of problems. And uh, click and clack, as they call themselves, give advice. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really funny. And, And yesterday, I have to say, I was actually quite proud of myself. Because not once, but twice, when the caller asked the question, I knew the answer. See Now, this is, this is remarkable. The first time, it was a woman who was writing a novel, and she needed in the plot to have the heroine uh, be able to disable her older model car in such a way that a bad guy couldn't take it, but when she got back, she could, she could fix the car and have it work again. And I thought to myself, I know how to do that with an older model car. The answer is, you disconnect the coil wire and click and clack said, oh yeah, that's easy, you just disconnect the coil wire. Score. (laughs) Now the second one to which I knew the answer was this, a woman called in and she had a noise in her car and the noise was getting louder and she was wondering if this was a symptom of some other greater problem. And so their solution to this problem of course was, when you hear the noise, turn up the radio. until you can't hear the symptom anymore. And then, of course, you just hope that, you hope that the symptom uh, goes away. And I was very proud of myself because I knew both answers. And those, you know, that's kind of good advice, but on the second one, as you can imagine, it sort of depends on how serious the symptom is and and not just with cars. So, for instance, our bodies, we experience symptoms from time to time, a fever, maybe, or a headache, or an ache in one of our joints, or something like that. Now, if it's a, if it's a small s- symptom, you can ignore it. You can pop a couple of Tylenol or something like that. But uh, some symptoms, of course, you sort of need to not just cover over, but you need to figure out what's going on and address <clears throat> the deeper underlying problem. Now, in the reading for St. Matthew Day from Matthew 9, the call of Matthew and the subsequent banquet in the house, there's a symptom that shows up. And I'd like to bring it out into the open, and I'd like to try to expose the deeper underlying problem that's causing the symptom. But before I do that, I really need to say something very clearly about Pharisees. You see, we've been conditioned by history and tradition and our own popular usage of the word Pharisee to hear the term and to think bad guy, hypocrite, low life. And the fact of the matter is at best, at least in all normal human ways of thinking at best, this reaction on our part is only partly true at best. You see, to us, to call somebody a Pharisee, you know, if you're walking along this campus and you say, You Pharisee, that's see, that's an insult. But but in Jesus' day, it was much more likely to be a compliment and a genuine one. You see, if we can trust Josephus. For many of the people in Israel, probably not all, but for many of the people in Israel, the Pharisees are the good guys. They're the role models. Insofar as we know about the Pharisees, they're apparently pious laymen. They're not priests, they're laity, and they're very earnest, and they're very pious, and they care deeply about God's word and about God's ways and about God's people. Of course, you'll get bad egg Pharisees, but for the most part, by all normal religious standards and thinking, the Pharisees were godly men. In fact, if you had a number of Pharisees on your church council, or in your Board of Elders, then you would probably see a lot of energy and a lot of commitment and a lot of devotion, an uptick in Bible class attendance and in worship. And I really mean this, and if you don't believe me, then read the literature of the Second Temple period yourself and even read carefully the Gospel of Matthew. You see, Jesus' words don't make any sense, they don't have any sting, unless the Pharisees are the good guys. When he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter into the reign of heaven. So the good guys are there in our text, And a symptom, you know, pops up to the surface. And it's one that we shouldn't just cover over. The Pharisees ask a question. They say, why does your teacher eat with tax gatherers and sinners? And of course, they're not just asking for information. What they're really saying is, your teacher, if he was a good teacher, would not be doing what he's doing. He would not be eating with tax gatherers and sinners. Now the symptom is this with the Pharisees and with other groups in Judaism there's a probation period before you are admitted into the community and after you are admitted then there's greater and lesser there's more prominence and less there's higher status and low there's greater importance and less. At meals, like the meal at which Jesus is eating with those people, at meals there are more important seats and there are less important seats. Everybody's there, but you have to prove yourself. And to be perfectly honest, some people are simply more important. Than others. This is a symptom. It's a symptom of something that cannot be ignored, and Jesus does not ignore it. His answer is this there are people who don't need a doctor, and there are people who do. That's it. That's it with Jesus. There aren't degrees of illness. There aren't gradations of health, it's just sick and well, and he's the doctor. With Jesus, it's just sick and well, and he's the doctor. Now, if Jesus is right, and there's a good chance that he is, then this actually undercuts a lot of what human beings spend their time doing. And just to shift away now from the Pharisees and to talk about Jesus' disciples, Jesus' disciples have real problems with this, both during his earthly ministry and afterwards. From the gospel lesson from Mark 9 from yesterday, Jesus said to the disciples, what were you talking about on the way? And Mark writes, and they were silent because they were discussing who was the greatest. From the last several weeks of readings from the letter of James, if you show favoritism, James says, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And in Galatia and in Corinth, And in Rome, this same symptom keeps popping up. It's not an outright denial of Jesus in the case of these Christian communities, not at all, but it's a symptom. It's a symptom that an attitude is creeping in, that somehow I'm getting into the equation and that somehow we are better than they or to put it in modern American terms that you and I can all understand. Somehow, some way, it's about me. And although I might be twice as humble about it as you are, I am better than you. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. With Jesus, no, and he actually gets to decide because he is the one who has the authority to decide. In Matthew chapter eight, this is the Jesus who is in the middle of a storm and he rebukes it and it works, (laughs) now that's authority. (laughs) This is the Jesus who casts a thousand demons into a herd of pigs and they go rushing down the hill. This is the Jesus who after he forgives the sin of a paralytic, and then his opponents call his bluff, he calls theirs, and he says to the man, Get up and walk. And at the word of the Son of Man, he gets up and walks. Jesus is the one who gets to the side, and with the doctor, the physician, there is just sick, and there is just well. Well, actually, with Jesus, there's just sick. All sick all the same all need to be made well and there's no probation period with Jesus there's no probation there's no waiting period what Jesus did he did for all the same and he did the work that the Father sent him to do he completed it this man who was the only person who ever actually deserved a place at the table with God. (laughs) He was the only one who deserved a place and yet he was willing to be rejected and he was and he was cast out and he was condemned and he was crucified and he was cursed and it was all to make a place for the sick. A place for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, (laughs) and me. There's no probation with Jesus. There's simply an invitation. Come and be healed. Come and dine. Come and be forgiven. There is room for you and welcome. And with this Jesus, there is no comparing. There are no levels. There's only sick and well. There's only sick people who have been made well. See, this symptom will come back in your heart and it will try to force its way back into my mind and into our life together. And you'll find yourself On the one hand, wanting to make distinctions so that you can come out on top. Or you'll find yourself fearing that there are distinctions, and you will come out the loser. When that happens, there's a simple answer. There's a simple solution. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your brother or your sister, and look instead at the physician. By his stripes, we are healed. You know, we're going to sing a Christmas hymn now, just because it's so beautiful and because it fits. Would you open your hymnals to 369? I invite you to sing this hymn and also to believe it. Yaroslavita's poetry places us at Christmas, it places us close to the manger and invites us to stand and look at Jesus. Not at yourself, not at me, not at anybody but Jesus. And I can't tell you <laughs> how happy I am to say that the great good news of God is not about you, and it's not about me at all. We're just sick people, and there's just a doctor. There's a physician, and with him, we're all the same. And he came for you, and you, and you, and you, and me. He came for us all. And with Jesus now, and with Jesus at the last day, there is room and welcome for you.